32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. And I'm Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county. And then we see where in the world it brings us. This week's county is Carlo. And this week's question, are we ready to get serious about the nighttime economy? I think so. <laughs> I know you are. You're very serious, very serious about the nighttime economy. Anything I'm serious about, it's nighttime. We like we've been chomping at the bit to get this episode done. Um, it's a subject that I am very passionate about, um, and that is be- it's really been talked about and riling people up more and more as we've seen the decimation of fit for purpose clubbing venues around the country to make way for hotel after hotel. And like, look, it's not the job of hotel owners to provide spaces for nighttime entertainment. It's their job to build hotels and make money. But it is someone's job to nurture culture in Ireland. But if clubbing isn't valued as culture, how can we expect it to be protected and nurtured? And if clubs are forced to jump through a million hoops um, and expense to get a late licence that only allows them to open till three, scabby, how are they meant to make money? And with so many restrictions and so little support, why would you actually bother? Why not just build a fucking hotel? On this podcast episode, we are going to be talking to the global nightmare advocate Merrick Milan, who was the first nightmare in Amsterdam, and Philly McMahon, who has challenged the definition and scope of culture with This Is Pop Baby. Let's go. Actually, let's not go. Oh. Because we have big news. Let's stay. <laughs> we have big news. Uh, our big news this week. Uh, we're very excited. It's our biggest live event ever. Second one. <laughs> It is United Ireland at Electric Picnic on, on Sunday, September 1st. <laughs> Which is really a challenge, an endurance <laughs> test. And also just I think it's going to challenge my personality in general. It is going to be at 1.15, but get there for one o'clock at the Ahir podcast stage um, in Minefield. And we are going to be talking about Leash, obviously, because that's where the picnic is. And we're going to be talking about whether festivals are the ideal societies. And in discussing that, we're going to be talking about utopias, future societies, Mm. the end of capitalism, all that kind of jazz. Who knew that a festival was going to throw all that up? Right. It's going to be like festival, utopia, society vibes. And also people's best festival vibes as well. Yes. And Andrea, you are ready to announce our exclusive announcement that you're announcing announcements announcements uh, of our guests who are they I feel like we should be like announcing at 7pm tonight announcing at 8pm tonight but what we're actually doing is announcing it now first up she's been on our podcast before Queen of the Greens as I'm now going to call her Saoirse McHugh woohoo second up He's also provided us with one of the most beautiful things we've produced in our podcast. No offence to our voices, uh, but Mango, who did our lovely ode to Dublin and his very uh, astute take on the political scene in Ireland. And last but not least is Breed Smith, who is a chocolate in the Leinster House. She's a socialist TD. And if there's anything we know about the world is that socialism is the solution to a better life. Okay, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> wow, I'd love that. Uh, the week that was. How was your week, Andrea? <laughs> it literally was an eight day hangover from Love Sensation. Mm. Like, I think, you know, and I, it's funny that this is a clubbing episode <laughs> and culture, etc. Because I can't hack it anymore. Eight days to get over the festival. So worth it, though. Yeah, okay, worth it. But you were a bit broken. 
I, you're a bit broken is anyone to have you listened to last week's podcast I was bento bits uh, but I'm back in great form so my week consisted of a lot of watching Friends which I know is not socially acceptable anymore um, and <laughs> it's apparent like there's these all these rants uh, I know I it's know, full I of know, misogyny and sexism and everything but the warm colours and the loving feeling there was a good piece I think uh, was it in the New York Times or somewhere like that? About, about Star to me too. No, about comfort watching okay. and the importance of um, while they're like making all these kind of new high concept shows and so much stuff is very dark and a woman goes missing, another woman See, goes missing. I can't missing. watch anything that's like that. Right, so a, a massive kind of trend is basically com- comfort watching and going back to these older shows like oh. Friends. So you're very um, on And when you're hang- hung over for eight days, uh, you can sit, lie on the couch and fall asleep and in and out of consciousness and you never lose track of what's happening. <laughs> that sounds like great advice. Um, what Balance. Else? Balance. My week, which is also relevant to this yeah. episode, I was in Berlin at the weekend for a few nights with some pals and of course you kind of just go home crying because you're just like, why can't we have all these things? But obviously it is, uh, it is pointless making comparisons to any city to Berlin because it's just su- such a unique place but and you know what's not sorry to interrupt twice there okay. Harriet, but Ranch? I really am stomping at the bit to get this out the, all the restrictions that they're putting on rental and housing in Berlin it's like how will this ever work mm, just by doing it yeah they're doing these five year rent freezes and um, just making it a nicer place to live for people yeah it's, Te- it's my favourite city uh, same so that was fun and I'm not broken which is brill so I feel like Congratulations I, Thank you and very much looking forward to the picnic um, Also this week uh, let's go to the news of the week um, I'm going to leave the first one over to you Andre because <laughs> it's to do with Shane Ross and I just can't even in August even in a slow month I cannot give that man the time of day Now do we think it was done on purpose as a little publicity stunt but he went to Marley Park and was like, oh, look, who says there's not enough charging stations for your electric car? Whomping up the charge in his car until somebody who was on the campus or in the vicinity was like, they aren't turned on yet, Shane. And he was like, whoops, and deleted his tweet and then retweeted going, sorry to get ahead of the announcement of these uh, electric points opening up. Yeah, but and I then he had to, I, I'm raging because he, he did the gas as clapback or as PR person did anyway of like, something he said afterwards uh, but it was in a radio interview and you know my memory so that's a great bit of content for the podcast <laughs> there find out what that claptrap was I feel like Shane Ross is his PR persona is all of the embarrassing bits of Boris Johnson's tenure as London Mayor distilled through a church town filter maybe he's trying to take over the country um, and the world. Imagine a world ruled by Shane Ross. No. Much better than one ruled by Trump and Boris Really? Johnson. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I'd take his photo ops over there. Okay, look, we are giving people ideas that they <laughs> really should not be running with. So let's move on to the other news of the week. We are now in the 28th consecutive quarter of employment growth in Ireland since 2012. There's a record number of people in employment in Ireland right now. 2.3 million. But unemployment is also up from uh, 4.4% to 5.2%. People outside of Ireland now make up 16.7% of the workforce in Ireland. So there's some good stats for you to mull over. They are good stats, but when you say people are uh, employed in a job, 
it doesn't say what type of job. Correct. And I think that's always an important caveat to have. Yeah, absolutely, because it's not necessarily jobs they want to be in or quality jobs or or jobs that are, have any error contracts or yeah, whatever. or beyond minimum wage, etc. But those are the stats you're going to hear plenty of people um, in Finnegal uh, <laughs> talking about in a positive sense. A report from the USI, uh, which is obviously the Union of Students in Ireland, said that over a third of students in Ireland are experiencing extremely severe levels of anxiety and just under 30% are suffering from depression. This is something we'll be getting into on a later pod, looking at the mindfulness industry and mental health discourse in general and all that kind of stuff. But um, that is really, those figures are, are pretty scary, whether it's people actually acknowledging the issues that they have or whether there's much more um, poor mental health happening, obviously. Uh, I feel like the recent news that students are skipping lectures to go to work because they can't afford to live is somewhat a play in that, for sure. Yeah, and I think the rental crisis and the stresses that that uh, kind of induces and in people really negatively impacts people or people being, you know, living at home when they don't want to and it impacts their independence or also social media. Tinder. Tinder, all of those kind of things, um, comparison culture, all that. We're going to be getting into that at a later date, but that is a, a pretty scary report from the USI. But related to that also is a comment that President Higgins made yesterday about uh, remember that you're not just here to be useful when he's talking about uh, education, that we're just trying to turn out people who can get jobs rather mm. than philosophers and people who can think and people who can make the world a better place and brighter. Yeah, and artists. And like, I think it's, yeah. that's really great to say that, but the society has to support um, that as well. I really think he's trying to get that into society. Fair, yeah. fair play to him. Go on, Miggledy. Loads of bullshit happening at the G7 gathering in Biarritz. Trump going all over the place with his dick-swinging trade war with China. <laughs> Boris Johnson pretending that he's not flying a plane into a mountain with Brexit. And fuck all money being given to alleviate the fires in the Amazon. Go team! Meanwhile, you may remember a while ago we touched on the case against Johnson & Johnson um, for their role in the opioid ep- epidemic in America. Uh, Well, a court in Oklahoma has ruled that they did indeed run false and dangerous sales campaigns that caused addiction and death and that they helped create the worst drug epidemic in US history. Everything from false claims about their medicine to influencing doctors, all that kind of stuff. They have been fined $572 million. Uh, This is something that's going to kind of roll and roll with regards to uh, the impact that uh, pharmaceutical companies companies, pharmaceutical companies are having in America from Purdue Pharma the Sackler family obviously Johnson Johnson now loads of other stuff and we'll be uh, getting into the opioid epidemic um, in the US on a later podcast the Dublin women beat the Cork women at the weekend en general and also in the All-Ireland semi-final ha ha had to get the Cork dig in because I'm a dick um, so I know that the, the other football finals on the 31st of August just FYI because I know football now it's on the 1st of September <laughs> so close but the women are playing Galway in the final on the 15th of September and the men's team uh, the Jubs are playing Kerry on Sunday and they're going to wipe the floor with them sorry five in a row um, but now as we talk about the nighttime economy with Carlo at the centre of it you're going to hear why is Carlo at the centre you're going to hear about that in one moment Here's some facts about our county this week. Our county of Carlo. Why is Carlo so relevant to this topic of nighttime economy? Because in a recent award ceremony that awarded the best nightclub in Ireland, the winner was the Foundry in Carlo. 
So it's really interesting, right? Because you have you wouldn't expect like the biggest. It's the biggest nightclub in the country, isn't it? Or one of there's a one up in Uri as well, isn't there? Um, well, anyway, it's one of like the biggest nightclubs in the, in the country. And what we when we're talking about the nighttime economy, we're also often talking about very urban, concentrated urban areas. But actually, the nighttime economy is very obviously a national thing and the culture of going out of like grabbing people from different kind of smaller towns or villages or whatever and going to a big club is such a massive part of yeah. Irish socialising time and nice but absolutely yeah I had a great night there one night I'll tell you about that later <laughs> I've had the best time in the foundry yeah well I used to work for Heineken and we used to do loads of events down there and we had like the magician playing in the foundry in Carlo amazing Walker. So Carlo is our uh, county of choice. You'll be hearing uh, from our county rep later. And so Carlo, big up for having a deadly club. And more than that, Carlo, I think I might move to Carlo after this week's fact. So we're, myself and Andrea were having breakfast this morning and she said that to me completely seriously and I do not think she's messing. She's fallen in love with Carlo this week. Hit me up with the facts. It's a population of 24,272. Cutesy. It used to be <laughs> the capital of Ireland. And it kind of still feels like, after you hear these facts, that it might be the cultural capital, oh. dare I say it. Uh, Carlo's GAA team's nickname is the Scallion Eaters. <laughs> Much like myself. Delicious. I love scallions. And a very yeah. underrated onion product. Yeah. Um, and the uh, oldest working bridge in Europe is in Leland Bridge. Oh my God, bridge in the title as well. I wonder why that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Whoever names places is a genius. Um, it's a cute bridge as well. Uh, Carla's a hive of culture. Not only is it home to the best nightclub in Ireland. Hello, the Foundry. But it has a glorious arts festival. The Carlo Arts Festival, which is directed by Joe Mangan. Hiya. And the Bars Festival of Writing and Ideas is one of my favourite festivals anywhere in the country. Um, run down there in Bars House. Bars also secret beautiful village stunning village they've kept loads of their old shop signage and shop frontages and stuff like that it's gorgeous this is a real Dublin question I'm about to ask Boris and Ossery is that it? no that's a different Boris ah. yeah so this is Boris just Boris two oars okay um, and a brilliant brilliant festival like the guests that they get are everyone from Florence Welsh to Anne Enright PJ Harvey like it just knocks it out of the park every year and it's really small and cute and intimate isn't it like you see all the rooms and they're like yeah but they've but like they get really big crowds and it's very like really accessible in terms of the ticket pricing you can get tickets for all weekend or just for one talk and very intergenerational as well I love that festival and it just really brings home how much deadly stuff is happening in Carlo yeah another deadly thing that's happening is uh, the Visual Arts Centre for Contemporary Art and the George Bernard Shaw Theatre it's 40,000 square foot complex and the management claims when it opened that it will rank among the best international cultural spaces like that's phenomenal it was an 18 million build and it has four galleries um, and they have loads of contemporary art stuff a 353 seat theatre and the managers also said that the main gallery is without precedent in Ireland as its size will allow the display of large scale contemporary art installations which yeah. is phenomenal for like now this one Andrea you're trying to explain <laughs> this to me before the podcast and I just wasn't really getting on board with it so please elaborate what is the significance of Easter in Carlo? oh my god this is I do love a Catholic story um, a good Catholic story not the crap ones so basically 
Ireland being Ireland, we like to walk our own walk and talk our own talk. Um, there was two different uh, celebratory days for Easter. Um, and in the Roman Catholic Church, they were celebrating their date. But then us Celts decided that we were celebrating it on our own dates. So there was a big hullabaloo. And in 630 AD, Pope Honorius wrote to the Irish threatening excommunication if they did not conform to the Roman way of calculating Easter. And as a result of this letter, and it's funny when they're describing this, they're like, and we didn't even have roads or whatever, but yet we're at the centre of the Roman Catholic Church hullabaloo. So as a result of this letter, anyway, the church in Ireland... a bridge, though. There was a bridge. Yeah, the the oldest working bridge in Europe. (laughs) Uh, If they didn't conform to it... uh, Oh, so they held a synod... I feel like that's a like meeting or something where yeah. they put smoke out a chimney or something. Um, in 632, Ma'lene, or as it is known today, Olaylen. And I feel like that could be where the bridge is. Yeah, Leyland Bridge. Bridge. Yeah. See? And so, Carlo, basically, what, did we get our way with the Easter well, date? I think so, because guess what else is in Carlo? What? A chocolate factory. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to draw parallels, but I'm going to. <laughs> it's not a coincidence. So Charlie can step aside because there is a char- chocolate factory in Carlo called the Chocolate Garden. And it's a chocolate and ice cream factory where you can make moulds and decorate your own chocolate. Delish. Thanks to that synod in 1632. <laughs> That's what Easter is about, right? Uh, there's also a Delta Sensory Garden, which is 16 interconnecting gardens that has a kugel which is one ton of pink marble floating on a cushion of water. Now, excuse me, but firstly, the poetry of that description. (laughs) Like, stunning. And like, Carlo, you're lashing it out. However, surely the jewel in Carlo's crown, I think, is Saoirse Ronan, who grew up in Carlo. One of Carlo's best exports. And we will not hear one word from anybody about her accent. I don't know how she hasn't disowned us at this stage. And... It's funny, one of the nicest things she says in that beautiful accent of hers is a little PN to your fine company here on South William Street. On the Allen Show. <laughs> tropical popcorn. Tropical popcorn. Tropical popcorn. Yeah. Tropical popcorn. Yeah. Tropical popcorn. Yeah. Tropical popcorn. Tropical popcorn. It's time for the Patreon ping. Ooh, money, money, your money, honey. So naughty, naughty, give me that Danilo. You know what that means. When you hear the Patreon ping, you crack open the wallet slash saved credit card details <laughs> on your phone or laptop and give us a few quid a month to help us keep making this podcast. All of our supporters are brilliant, wonderful people. We are so grateful and we're creeping up every week, which is brilliant. I'm so delighted. Thank you so much to all of the new patrons who've come on board. We're so appreciative. We love you all. You're really, really helping make this happen. Like if, if people weren't supporting this podcast, we actually wouldn't be doing it um, still. No. So thank you so much for, for doing it. We really appreciate it. Shout out to all the deadly patrons. And if you're listening to this for free... Um, <laughs> no, Andrea, be nice. Um, and if you can afford it, please do help us out by going to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. If you're totally smashed, 
completely get it that's all good but we'd really love if you reviewed the podcast on iTunes or just shared it on your socials or just said it to a random person hey listen to this podcast that would be fab or go to see them at Electric Picnic on Sunday at 1.15 Ah here stage Minefield area Our county rep this week is a Carlo Queen. She is Sarah Breen. That rhymes. Uh, she's a complete Ashling because she wrote the books with uh, Emer McLeisett. She's one half of the dream team behind the phenomenally successful OMG What a Complete Ashling um, Empire at this stage. Yeah. Their third b- book is coming out on September 12th, once, twice, three times in Ashling. V excited. It is top of my tiring towering uh, stack of books that I um, have to read this month and but it is top of the pile and I'm getting to it today actually um, and, and the screenplay is on the way as well yes mm. correct Element Pictures you say uh, optioned um, the Ashling, uh well the first book at least yeah. I think and um, that's pretty amazing uh, so she is a novelist and a screenwriter and, and a big Republic of Loose fan as I saw in her stories this week and a big Oasis fan I think she, I think Noel Gallagher is like her dream man. Wow. Um, along with her husband. <laughs> and so just to end that really great sidebar. Sidebar. Um, Sarah Breen <laughs> is the Carla County rep. Hello. I hope nobody can hear the sound of my children screaming and roaring downstairs. I'm trying to block it out um, and please try and block it out with me. I'm very proud to be representing Carlo this week. I'm a proud Carlovian through and through, born, bred and buttered, as they say. Um, I was at home recently and I saw Richie Kavna, Carlo royalty, in a garden centre wearing slippers. I feel like Carlo has to be the most underrated county in Ireland. You just never hear about it, you never read about it. You know, maybe it's because we're next door to Kilkenny, to Kildare, to Wexford, who do impressive things in JA. Or maybe it's because Carlo doesn't have a coastline. I've always felt a bit hard done by in that sense. But we do have the River Barrow, which I have just seen is the second longest river in Ireland. So shove your castle up your hole, Kilkenny. Um, I'm from a very small and quaint and beautiful town in Carlow called Boris. We have a viaduct. Why am I not seeing this on the nine o'clock news every night? Carlow also has a dolman. Carlow has everything anyone could possibly want from a county. As I said, not great on GAA, but look, we'll take what we can get. Um, so that's it. That's all I have to say. Everyone come to Carlow, or as we say locally, follow me up to Carlow. So in discussing this topic, a question that we need to ask ourselves and that you listening should ask yourself too. Do you think clubbing is culture? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> is it Michael Barbaro in the corner? Huh. Hmm. Huh. Um, what do you reckon, Andrea? <laughs> you have Michael so many Barber. you have so many thoughts on this. Um, you know, what do you what do you think about this whole topic? Hmm. Going with it now. Um, Well, to be honest, so it kind of, I feel like this topic is summed up of around election time for the local elections. All the potential councillors were knocking on doors and were asking what main concerns were, et cetera, et cetera. And every time they came, I was like, well, it's the nighttime economy. And every time I said that, they'd look at me in shock as if I was like talking as a space cadet. We're like, oh, really? Every single other person around here wants the clubs closed earlier. 
because of the antisocial behaviour and late night disturbance. Now, I live uh, near enough to Harcourt Street, which is kind of like the hub of our later night clubs, I suppose. Um, And I feel like that response kind of sums up um, our attitude to it in Ireland. That nighttime entertainment is kind of like an inconvenience and something to be contained um, and shut down rather than something to be nurtured and encouraged. And it feels like we're lacking the... um, the seeing the potential of what it can hold in terms of uh, culture and money and joy, connections, all the good stuff that come from After Dark. Um, but I think that's in no small part down to the type of clubs we have in Ireland and that they're and the type of restrictions we have in place as well. The clubs, I suppose, that are still here um, after all the really fit for purpose dance clubs, if you will, were bulldozed, um, are really focused on drinking as culture. Like that's really the whole element of culture that's in them. It's getting locked as fast as you can and trying to score someone before the lights go on. Um, And that's grand. Like obviously there's obviously a place for that. We all need to get laid. Um, But (laughs) I think... Because nightclubs have such a small window to be open with the way our uh, legislation is and um, the only way to make money in such a small time frame is to sell as much drink as possible. And that's the like, you, if you're a club owner, you, you bitch be- better have my money or what's that's a good quote, isn't it? But like, because this is the irony in it, because in, in attempting to basically curtail uh, going out, what that legislation and those regulations actually do is encourage binge drinking yeah. and all of the shit behaviour that flows from that. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 short-sighted. Um, and then adding in entertainment and a cultural programme costs money and time. Um, and when your margins are tight, obviously that's going to be the first thing that's sacrificed. Like, if you can't afford t- to pay it, you're not going to do it. You see it all the time when, when clubs or bars are suffering, you know, maybe with just before they're about to go out of business, it's like all of the drink promotions in the world to just yeah, get and, people and in the door. And not a, and a generic DJ or yeah. a playlist or something. It's just like get them in, get everyone drunk and get them buy more money at the bar. And as well, like there's obviously the issue with the um, the fees you have to pay for the, the SEOs, which is the special exemption orders. Um, so that adds another um, layer of money to it um, but we do have a group called Give Us a Night and they're a volunteer group made up of people whose careers are rooted in the industry and they've done some research and analysis and uh, comparing of our nighttime setup to more open-minded and creative and progressive counties as countries and in response they created a little mandate of what Ireland needs to do to join the communities of thriving nighttime economies and the fact is, it is an economy. Um, we It's kind of overlooked. You kind of just see it as this thing that happens where people get locked. But it is an economy. And um, a survey carried out by Club Commission um, found that Berlin's clubbing economy was brought in uh, 1.5 billion to the city in 2018. And that each person who went there spent at least 200 euro in restaurants, bars, um, and then the clubs, obviously, as well. And I suppose that's the thing that's hard to argue with even when you're a market-obsessed conservative government. Money talks, as they say. 
But if we were to look at what the situation is right now, uh, for a venue to open late, and this is a very subjective term as late is currently 3am, 2.30am, they need to apply for a special exemption order and that costs €410 for every night you want to open late. Now, if you're running a club night and like I did my first running of a club night recently um, and we tried to put on acts and it takes a lot of budget to do that. And if you have to add in an extra €410 Euro to your budget, like you're, it's, it, it's hard to make ends meet and to make it worth your while. Um, and if we look at the special exemption orders as well, they kind of doubled in price. And in 2007, there was 90,691 SEOs. But then in 2017, 10 years later, only 37,500. So we're actually... That is mad, isn't it's it? It's bananas. Um, and these are all facts from the Give Us the Night website. But that just shows you that in trying to make more money with these SEOs, that they're actually losing money and putting mm. restrictions on people actually doing something. Um, and venues availing of annual dance licenses decreased from 1,635 in 2007 to just 930 in 2013 and a late night venue in Ireland that would choose to open six days a week would pay approximately 128,000 per year plus legal fees for each monthly court application on these SEOs and that's in addition to rates, rent, insurance, running costs, wages etc. So I think you're already fucked really in terms of financially and going through all the rigmarole and there's no streamlining and who's getting to decide all this but then when you start thinking about money you also start thinking about jobs like there's such an economy of jobs involved you've got bouncers lighting technicians sound engineers bar staff promoters flyer designers marketing teams one of like one of the marketing teams who does all the marketing for all the clubs in Ibiza is based in Dublin Dave Devs Dave Devalera runs it mm. um, you've got DJs you've got managers that You've got bookers, you photographers, managers, like you get the picture. And that's not even taking into account the music makers and producers that are coming out of Ireland um, that never get a look in from the big culture heads from above. Some of our biggest electronic musical exports are playing to audiences of over 100,000 a week, every week around the world. But like, they're just not like getting any notoriety or support or marketing or like the green stamp of Ireland. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, I mean, the electronic music acts, Irish electronic music acts are mm. so huge. Obviously, our boy Crystal Clear um, is, you know, such a massive breakout act of the last couple of years. You look at Sunil Sharp, you look at Orla, Coach, Searsha. Mano Latuff. Mano. Um, you know, the, um, like there's so many acts playing. and Globally. Globally. Like globally. And there just doesn't seem to be the places for them to play here. Now, obviously, there's there are a few clubs that are still holding it down and some different club nights as well and, and places like Pig and stuff like that in Dublin. Opium. And Opium, etc. But a lot of the places, like you say, aren't fit for per- like they're not built as clubs you know people talk about okay there's Tengu fantastic but it's a room on, above a restaurant. a restaurant you know yeah. Um, so yeah we need to get our shit together and really understand how um, how vital this is and for which is great to see that the Foundry for example is a f- built fit for purpose club yeah. and the way they make it work is they change their programming each night so you could have like the magician playing one night and, but then you have an R&B night the other night and then you have the chart toppers for the college students so like yeah. they're kind of moulding themselves to fit and work and make money Before we talk to um, 
uh, Philly and Merrick about this. I just want to say something about the impact that I think that this has on people's um, psyches and on their mental health and the future that they see for themselves in Dublin and in towns and cities around Ireland and in Ireland in general. Like, I think having community, having place to gather is the most vital thing for me. Mm-hmm. And when I was running kind of club nights and warehouse parties and stuff, good few years ago now like the sense of community and the sense of friends and the sense of connections coming together and the potential for ideas to be exchanged in a real place and just for people to have a laugh and let loose particularly during the recession when so many people were emigrating and the vibes were just so bad it was their place to gather on the dance floor to actually you know let off some steam and you know have each other there like I know that sounds very sentimental but it's fucking true you know it's and when I think of the the fabric of how nighttime is just not being helped not being supported and how there were things that emerged during the recession we put nothing in place in terms of infrastructure that protected those and enabled them to continue um it breaks my heart because you're living in a city where that is just seems to be um, prioritising just pumping out people to be capitalist drones and we're actually letting go and you know being transgressive and having um, you know adventures at night and not fucking just working all the time um, you know that that's being discouraged and the stifling atmosphere that that creates particularly in somewhere like Dublin and in other villages and towns and cities around the country I think is really pronounced I think it's having a shitty impact on people's mental health I think it is forcing people to emigrate I think that it is making people feel like that this country isn't providing for us and this is not just like Teenagers, like there's people in their in well into their twenties, thirties, and forties. Hiya. <laughs> and if you're not if you're not allowing people a space that feels free, that feels creative, that feels like a uh, cool, that feels like it has an edge, that feels there's a sense of discovery, then what the fuck is it all about? And also, as an addendum to that. Uh, all the contacts I made for when I worked in a corporate world were made on the dance floor and that kind of allowed me to be creative in what I was doing in work. So it also has a knock-on effect on industry and businesses and like for sure Tropical Popco has had many influences from dance floors. We met on the dance floor. We did. So it's so so much more important beyond I just don't think that conservative politicians or neoliberal politicians really think beyond like the very superficial bottom line yeah the super and the superficial aspects of it like this is really important like these are people's lives you know when you're thinking back on all of the important moments in your lot in your life it's about these moments of gathering of community of the amazing nights out that you had of things that were genuinely magic and things that can't be built by you know multi fucking billion euro hospitality companies companies or that can't just be built by a ministry or anything like that we need to enable people to create their own culture and when they do it we cannot just come with an enforcement mentality towards it it has to be a fostering and encouraging mentality and now there is movement towards yes. this what's the movement so Josefa Madigan um, who after like the likes of Give Us The Night and so many other people advocating for this kind of 
value placed on the nighttime economy. Ireland is so far behind on things sometimes it makes me depressed anyway. But we're so far ahead on other things so it's brilliant as well. Yes, correct. Thank you, Andrea, for my little <laughs> pick me up there. So Josefa Madigan is basically, she said that, you know, nighttime can be a very special time when it can be full of creativity, unique energy and endless possibilities. She's kind of started to, to use this language that people have been using um, internationally with regards to the importance of the nighttime economy. And you may have heard little uh, stuff that her uh, department has been doing with regards to what could nightmares look like or how would they be rolled out. And so Dublin and Cork are going to be the first areas to try and boost nighttime entertainment and cultural events and potentially open new venues for activities with these pilot nighttime culture groups. They're going to come from the creative and arts communities, uh, entertainment business sectors, local authorities, and with the Gardaí, um, who are always up for a laugh at night. <laughs> you say Shia, we say Kona. Shia, Kona, Shia. Shia. They Kona. love when you sing that to them. They love that, especially... Uh, where were we? Doing? Low sensation. Oh, yeah. No, it wasn't. It was and body, body and soul. soul. Okay, right. So there, that's going to kick off next month um, in September. And by getting these people together and kind of joining up the different groups who are kind of invested in the nighttime stuff that you know the hope is that this will kind of foster different things it's a bit of a top down approach but that is needed because what's really needed is to actually look at the value of culture and why it's important um, as well as but we should also be helping out all the kids who just want to you know put on a party for their mates or whatever so yeah. hopefully those things will interlink now this there's a lot of the discourse around this was around licensing um, but the, these kind of like uh, little groups or whatever this kind of policy from Josephine Madigan that's not going to talk or really discuss uh, licensing laws because um, that's a matter for justice which is such a pity because it's our main like it's not our main restriction we've done so much great things with those restrictions in place for so long but when you look at uh, European cities and everywhere that can open on a Friday and close on a Sunday and what that scope that allows you in a club of like culture creativity longevity all those great stuff um, it is something that needs to happen Correct but I suppose it, it it's it's good in a way as well as like obviously the licensing laws have to change and have to be um, expanded massively and, and justice need to get on top of that but I think it's also important to not have the conversation around the nighttime economy and nighttime culture just, just about licensing yeah. so we'll see what happens with that we'll check back in with you guys next month um, but for now we are going to start talking to some people who really know their shit on this not that we don't joined here by Merrick Milan, who is a global nightmare advocate. Um, hi, Merrick. Hi. Hi there. Um, would you be able to start off by telling us how you ended up as the nightmare of Amsterdam and what the role entailed? Yeah, for sure. Um, so um, in Amsterdam, it's uh, um, the nightmare is an independent non-for-profit. So it's a public-private funded entity. And uh, the nightmare helps to ensure that Amsterdam has a dynamic and vibrant nightlife. And we really want to bridge the gap between municipalities, so that's mayor and city councillors, small business owners like nightclubs and festivals, but also city residents. 
And um, how I ended up being a nightmare, I was a club promoter all of my working life. So I've seen uh, that end of the spectrum a lot. I did a lot of uh, festival uh, or festivals and also permits for the festivals. And um, in this role, I spoke often to uh, city council and to the, or, well, not to city council, but to the um, uh, to city government about uh, licensing and policies, etc. And uh, when I saw the election come up in 2012, I thought, well, let's just go for it. And then I was elected in 2012 and re-elected in 2014. Amazing. And since then, you've gone on to become a global advocate for the establishment of these roles around the world with VibeLab. How's that going? Yeah, so uh, it was never it was never our goal to um, uh, place this on an international level. We really wanted to support uh, the nighttime scenes in, in Amsterdam. Uh, but of course, while it's, while it's happening, I'm, I'm super happy that we could influence other cities around the world. At this moment, uh, there are 45 uh, cities around the world that have adopted some form of nighttime governance. Uh, I think, really think that nighttime governance is an emerging field. And um, what is interesting to see is that from those 45 cities, uh, some of them, or the the the, um, uh, the the night mayors or nighttime advocates or whatever you want to call night stars, whatever you want to call them, uh, what you could see happening is that at first, so uh, we had the biggest boom of um, of of um, uh, night mayors being appointed or elected that was in 2017, and what you can see happening now over the last years is that at this moment the last. Uh, seven or eight cities that joined uh, the movement, uh, they are all, um, these are all elected positions. So it's more that it started as being like a bottom-up movement, nightmares being elected by the community and, and, and in this way trying to uh, influence decision-making in City Hall. But now more and more cities are making it to, into an official position, such as, of course, New York, London, but also the last cities that joined are like, Shanghai is joining now, and you see that in, in, in the so the last couple of years, more and more um, nightmares are appointed by the city, and so they are inside city government and inside the city government structure. So what we lost you there for a second, Merrick? What were those cities? Shanghai and where else? Oh, Shanghai, Helsinki, Washington D.C. Um, uh, those are all cities that are that have uh, elect, uh, sorry, have appointed uh, uh, persons, and they are within the city government structure. Um, um, like this is so amazing to see all these nightmares uh, coming up. But what benefits does having a nightmare bring to cities? If you were to sell this to a city. Yeah, I think um, uh, I think what is most important is that there is a better understanding within City Hall, with the mayor, with city councillors, with policymakers about what the value of the nighttime economy or nightlife, whatever you want to call it, is. And we really see this. Um, but so I think what's most important is education. Education uh, for all these uh, people that work in city government that they don't have to that there is a difference between your regular nightlife or nighttime scenes, which is often really very alcohol driven, which has often a lot of sexism uh, and all that stuff. Or on the other hand, the more cultural nightlife scene, or the more um, how I like to put it, the more um, cultural relevant nightlife. Because I think there's a big difference between the two. Cultural relevant nightlife is what shapes the identity of your city. This is where innovation takes place in music and culture uh, and also from, from a so social standpoint. 
Uh, and then you have your regular nightlife scene, which is focused on um, alcohol sales, restaurants, etc., etc. These are making your city more attractive, but it's not making it more unique. What what social and cultural changes have you seen in Amsterdam, like on the ground and in the nighttime scene, that you would attribute to having a nightmare, to having that kind of nightmare, and also the education piece? Yeah. So I th- I think. Um, like I don't only want to blow my own horn, but like what we did, for example, is we really brought the discussion of gender equality. We really brought that to the table in Amsterdam by organizing Chicks on a Mission, which was uh, a female empowerment event, which I did with my uh, colleague Ella. Um, and it was really about uh, entrepreneurship, sexism and safety for women at night. Uh, I think it's really, um, you know, well, uh, I don't have to explain you guys did, but but I, I, like the way we approach the gender roles in nightlife is something which is not really discussed or haven't been discussed over the over over the last years. Uh, like simple things as that it was you know like there are so many women that have like micro. Um, uh, like micromanaging situations in a nightclub just to feel more safe, you know, and and probably a lot of women or well you you yourself notice that how you um, you know how you uh, act when you're being followed around like by somebody like the whole night or whatever you do to keep yourself safe and these are things that are never uh, not were not really discussed and we really brought this to the table it's now a wider discussion and i think that is really what the role of a nightmare is it's really to drive discussion forward and really to be this this rebel that also you know it's not a nightmare in my opinion is not only there to uh, for the benefit of big industry players. That is something that happens a lot here is that it's whoever is making the most money and has turned the most money at the situation is getting the benefits of it rather than tailoring it for the clubbers or for the smaller players. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really important. Um, uh, I think that's something which is really important to distinguish, to say, hey, this is like, hey, it's also a civic movement in my aura. That's how we approach it. It's not only to improve industry. Of course, um, when maybe uh, like in Amsterdam with the 24-hour licenses, we definitely uh, have we extended opening hours. Uh, but it really also had, but these the, these opening hours or the, the uh, came to the benefit of people that are also investing in the culture. It's not only to make sure that people make more money and the city is more attractive. It's also to make sure that, uh, that 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 marginalized groups and other people have a place to come together and to develop their talents. And when you're starting in a new city with this journey, what are the main obstacles that you face when you go into the city? Oh, there's always like uh, the first, uh, you know, it, it, it goes from as stupid as people are saying, oh, I don't like it when it's called nightmare because it sounds like nightmare and I don't understand it, you know, and I'm like, okay, really? Is this that it? So from, from those issues, literally from those issues, because that's like the easiest way to say, oh, I don't like this, to more broader um, uh, perspective where um, um, uh, people are, or, uh, you know, uh, um, governments when they hear mayor and they hear knight there's always two problems one they hear knight so they think well this person is definitely cooler than i am (laughs) and then they hear mayor (laughs) and then they think okay so who's going to give up power you know and that is a big issue for cities so um uh so i i think it's really that's what i again it's really about education you know explaining people what this is, why this is necessary, 
and 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 um, how 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 also social structures can be improved by having this person. Like nightlife still is a big subculture, and um, what you also uh, see is like um, I think this position works two ways, or that that's our approach. Uh, at one hand, it helps to build community. It helps to align people in the nightlife scene to come together and also to 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 speak to each other more often. Because what I see in so many cities is that party promoters, nightclub owners, you know, they're like surfers, you know, they ride their own wave. Once they have a license, they don't want to share it with anybody or that knowledge. Uh, you know, if they are club, uh, club owners, if they have their place and they fought for it so long to have that spot, then, you know, they're not discussing with other club promoters who they're booking, what they're doing, etc. So at one hand, I think it helps to um, unify the scene, that it brings people together because you have to actively, you have a, a common um, no, enemy, I don't want to say enemy, but you have a common goal to work towards. But on the other hand, it also helps when, like, when there's new policy coming out of City Hall, at least these policies have been checked with a group that is actually working with it from day to day. Because I think that's such a big, sorry, such a, a mismatch often uh, between what governments want and what governments know what's going on on the ground. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, what is your perfect like example or utopia of entertainment and economy combining after dark? <laughs> so, uh, in my opinion, a modern day nightclub should always be multidisciplinary, and that means it's like a city within a city. It's like a, it has a bar, gallery, co-working space, maybe even like one of the venues in Amsterdam has a gym uh, that's open twenty-four hour. You know, so it's really about. Uh, figuring out what is the like uh, for a place to socialize what is the new what is the new form and I think when it's multidisciplinary when it has uh, when it's multi-use uh, when uh, uh, residents that live around this, these venues also benefit from the fact that the venue is there I think that is the m- moment when we can explain better to governments and to cities why nightlife is important for a city that it's not only about raving 24 7 of course that happens occasionally uh and it's definitely a really big part of of uh of the ecosystem and and of my my social life but it's not the only thing and it's so easy to only focus on the negative side and to forget about all the positives uh that can come from it but i think so that's really for me, interesting that you're saying focusing on the negatives is the raving 24-7 and there is a problem that we see that as a negative whereas it actually provides so many positives as well yeah so and I think so there's there's a couple of issues which um, uh, which are often the case or actually in all the cities that, that we that we work and travel to we see the same there's uh, nighttime scenes are often not unified so they don't speak in one voice uh, they don't have an agenda they don't know they don't really know what they want uh, and on the other hand, they don't have data. You know, they don't have facts. They don't have things to protect themselves. They don't have the right arguments. And those are two things that we really focus on now. Um, uh, that's also why we created a project called the Creative Footprint. And the Creative Footprint is a way to calculate the impact of nightlife on the city, but also to create policy recommendations for the city and to drive that conversation with 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 data and and, and arguments and um, uh, yeah, to influence decision makers. Um, and lastly, um, Ireland is such a drinking-focused culture. What would you say would yeah. be the best way to go about changing that? So I think 
Um, I, I don't know how to change the drinking culture in Ireland, but what I can say is, you know, what are the arguments that city councils or cities are more, maybe more interesting to, to, to learn about. And I think when you shift the approach uh, or when you when you shift the, the content or the, 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 the cultural programming a venue has, when you shift, when that shifts really into the content, then drinking becomes less um, less of the driver and also less visible. Because this cultural relevant nighttime scenes, these social scenes, there's also a form of um, self-regulation. And uh, I think that's always like we have to really make sure that cities understand what the difference in between alcohol-driven nightlife and cultural relevant nightlife, because then we can find the right arguments uh, to open up clubs later. Because then it's not only about alcohol. And and what we always say, we, you need to experiment, uh, but you need to do this uh, in an educated way. Uh, then you will see this, this will impact uh, your city in a positive way, but also shape the identity. Amazing. Thank you so much, Merrick, for joining us and for giving us such a great insight. And we are very hopeful for what lies ahead for Dublin and Ireland um, and our nighttime economy. Yeah, thanks so much. Good luck with the podcast. And uh, we'll hope to speak to you, uh, your sister soon. In studio is Philly McMahon, who every time I mention to my dad, my dad says, the footballer. And I say, no, the co-director of This Is Pop Baby. Do you know that the final of the JA football is Stop. on the 1st of September? Stop, Andrea. <laughs> I feel like my parents wished I was the GAA player, but no. Philly, you are very welcome. Thanks for having me. You're a stalwart and a totem and a... Um, figure of much influence on the nightlife scene in your own various ways. That sounds like a really bad way of saying old. (laughs) (laughs) But I suppose one of the things is is that Dublin and Ireland um, and anywhere with nightlife and all the places that you guys have done your stuff with Pop Baby um, you know it's so good to have folks like you and Jenny Jennings and the company Around because in times where things feel a little bit dead, um, This Is Pop Baby brings a certain type of energy to it. Pop Baby, for people who don't know, is kind of a multifaceted theatre, party, clubbing, event, everything uh, company that has done everything from Riot to the um, much-missed Pop Baby uh, tent, the picnic to the club night's work and so on. How much has clubbing influenced your work? Because you've gone from everywhere from you know, dance floors to the Abbey stage, basically. Yeah, it's been, I, I would I would say it's been the biggest influence probably um, on the work and why we make the work, I suppose. I think that we all uh, credit meeting each other on the dance floors. You're talking about myself and Jenny, Niall Sweeney, Panty, you know, kind of different ages and kind of different scenes. But we were all, there was a moment in time where we were all dancing on the pod dance floor. Um, and so I think that our kind of certain collective vibe um, was born out of that. And we kind of, for me personally, I kind of wasted my, you know, 20 to 25, just like going crazy. And I, when you say I say waste now, take that back. You know, the positive waste, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I'm not talking bottles in the ocean here. I'm talking about, you know, that kind of dream space where you're kind of like, you know, you know, my big focus was, uh, you know, socializing let's say and getting loose loose. and so when I kind of started to get my shit together I I always worked in theatre I was a terrible actor for a number of years and and eventually I was like right I want to get my shit together and I want to make work Um, but how can I 
I found for me as a as a young person as somebody who was kind of embedded in nightlife as a queer I found that the kind of um, the theatre in Dublin did not reflect me let's say um, and I actually I heard a Jape song I heard Jape song floating mm. and I thought if I could make a play that made me feel the way that song makes me feel um, I'd be achieving something um, so I set about writing a play called Danny and Chantel Still Here which is about two young people from Ballymun who come into town to the pod nightclub um, for an epic night out a kind of transformative night and by morning will their friendship still be the same um, you know as the sun comes up over Dublin and that was set most of it was set in the pod we performed it on the dance floor of the pod nightclub and it felt right at that moment well this is this is something that we can kind of explode out and so with Pop Baby what we've always thought is the feeling you get from the Beyonce concert why can you not feel that in the black box theatre and so we set about making events that kind of um, you know blew your mind or enriched your soul or was good for the heart or was just a bloody good night out Amazing Sadly and um, now, as you said yourself, you've had your share of moments on the dance floors in Ireland. Um, what do you think of the scene right now and how do you think it's changed over the years? I think that, I think the, I think there are scenes, right? There are, diff- there are different scenes in nightclubbing and I suppose that I am still um, very much embedded in the queer scene in Dublin. Which, And I think that you can always tell where a city is at by where its queer scene is at. You know, if, you know, if gays are staying in your city, something good is happening. You know, and if you can't, if you go to a city and you find it really hard to find the gay bar, or the gay bar is a tragic little hovel somewhere, you know, it's not the city hasn't got a good vibe going on potentially. <laughs> um, um, and I, th- I think that I think that we go through waves of, you know, I think that I'm, I'm going to sound like the old person saying, you know, that back in the day, but I think that kind of late nineties. Clubbing revolution in Ireland is that there was spaces that you could take over. You had visionaries like John Reynolds who were willing to kind of merge art and party for the first time or even just throw massive clubs for us all. And we were all like, oh, my God, this is possible in Ireland. And then things kind of changed over the boom is that people were less... um, I guess that they had there was more money they had less to rally against and so you know a nightclubbing can be uh, dancing on the dance floors can be a political act it can be an act of revolution uh, booking against your Monday to Friday life Um, and so I think that things kind of got restricted then and then they kind of exploded out again but in the meantime what I think I'm speaking really fast but you know you'll all all catch up it's grand Um, in the meantime, I think what happened was people were as happy when prices got really expensive and we were all broke. Um, people were as happy having a bag of cans at home then potentially going out. And because the opening hours are so restricted in Ireland, people were then going and finding after party fun in houses or, you know, barely legal spaces, whatever. And so I think what has happened now is that we've kept that. And I think that the main action happens in your gaff before you go out. And in your gaff after you go out. And what I found from running clubs and being involved in clubs is that the clubbing experience is becomes the shortest part of your night. And so therefore, even myself, you end up going to the club at one, one thirty, and then you're getting kicked out at three. Mm. So I think for DJs and I think for club promoters and I think for people that want to inject a kind of uh, creative sensibility to the club, it's harder these days uh, to take people on a journey for the night. You've got to hit them hard. 
for, for that kind of couple of hours. And it's kind of leading to an introverted social scene because you're hanging out with your own friends in your house, your own friends after in your house, and you're not making as many new connections as, let's say, we used to come home with, like, real the phone numbers from the pod of all these new people, whereas you're kind of sticking to your own crew now. Let's be friends forever. And then you were. <laughs> and then you were like, you were ringing the people and you were like, let's go for that pint that we said we would go for when we were then standing. Then gets awkward and you're like... Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I think I think it is. I think it, it, the whole thing becomes reduced. But I think that there have been kind of marvelous clubbing moments in the city. I think like when Mother arrived on the scene, for instance, in um, Copper Alley, and now it's moved to the Hub. Um, there was people with a great point of view, and they felt like the DJs, and they still did. They feel like a family and a gang, and we're all invited into that. So I think that people that and you know I haven't. I'm going this Saturday night. Right. Um, to grace and it's just so like an, good. it's just another group of cool queers that are putting on a techno party again it's a point of view it's not just like oh let's throw it open to the widest common denominator um, but all of these things are still relatively small and the reason for that is is that in Dublin and I know around the country I'm sure there are cooler things going on outside of Dublin um, but there are no spaces the kind of those big dance floors that we all loved um, are gone. Um, you know, when I was walking in here, I was thinking, do you remember the days of spending 20 quid on a Saturday night to get in spirit? Yeah. And uh, of course, we all thought that was like, oh, well, that, well that's fine. Um, but there was just this, that was around the time um, that you could, you, a club to you was like, right, well, there will be the main dance floor and then this music will be playing in the side room and then this kind of weird hip-hop thing will be happening in a little alcove somewhere. There'll be a movie screening room. There'll be a movie screen. Ice like, cream being it, served. Yeah, yeah. And Such it's just, good days. And it's just like, we need more of that. We need, you know, the super pub thing was like god-awful, right? But at least it kind of gave a sense of scale in the city. And I think that, like... Dublin like a lot of places when I think of like Soho and Sydney is that like anyone that lives their life after dark is presented as a problem yeah and uh, and I think that people don't you know people in positions of power um, politicians they don't understand they just think oh well you're just you're just drunk on a night out you know but you know my mother doesn't come into town and stay out till 4am but she also doesn't think that she knows what happens there and who the people are and what their needs are you know so um, I think that uh, the kind of decision making certainly for our city uh, Dublin and I would imagine around the country um, is that we just need some more people that are clued in to what's actually happening on the ground What do you think session culture is doing to the kind of the collective thinking and stuff because I'm really interested in it because as you're saying like I went out to clubs religiously in my late teens and all the way through my 20s and then I've, I've hated all of the nightlife culture around the Celtic Tiger as you said the recession gave rise to access to spaces um, and loads of good parties came out of that and then that just stopped and every space is now being um, you know uh, just basically taken away from people who want to make it something with potential rather than something with a um, monetary value. But I think I've like it's so weird to me that as a 36 year old woman that my majority of socialising is occurring in a, in a house party context. It's not even a house party. It's more of like a gathering and a conversation. I think a lot of discourse is coming out of that. 
But equally, I think that that discourse is very, very contained and it can often be very, very introspective. And whereas clubbing culture is an expansive thing where there's ideas leaking out of buildings and dance floors, the session thing seems to be really ring fencing a particular type of discourse that is often in and of itself in opposition to is literally what what is outside those doors of the houses that people are in. And I think that that suits a lot of people. Mm. I think that it suits um, the powers that be in a way because, you know, we, for all intents, we're off the streets then, you know, and we are broken up in numbers and we are less powerful in that way. Do you know? And so I think that... um, Less police need to be rostered in. All all of that. But then it's... it's a it's a false economy that they're creating because they you know um people want to you know the the, the i suppose the city council whether you know this hotel thing is like there's hotels being built everywhere the student accommodation being built everywhere and people that want to make the city better um by creating nightlife culture um are kind of being pushed out and i think that yeah i think that these conversations are now happening in small numbers and i think that um, I guess it's you know these nights which I love I love sitting in my house with 10 friends and you just kind of go well that was the best feeling for the soul literally but did it in your house the other weekend <laughs> wasn't going to say that wasn't going to say that but um, but it, it's you don't have that sense of transformation mm. and I think that um, I think that you know it's almost become a cliche how Berlin has become a kind of holy grail for Irish people for young Irish people because there's a, just a sense of there's a freedom you know I went to a club in Berlin recently and it is open from Thursday till Monday and I was not there Thursday to Monday um, but, Saturday to Monday yeah um, <laughs> but there is and inside you don't see any security like I didn't see any security like maybe they're just invisible or whatever and it's always clean and people come in for their four or five hours and then they go home some people go home and have brunch and then come back and I don't think that we've ever really experienced that freedom around... maturity. It feels like there's a maturity in it because people regulate themselves because you're literally like, I've had enough now, so I'll go home. Not, I have to go home in an hour, so I'm going to do 10 shots of Sambuca. And I went to... I I broke with tradition and I went to a club on Camden Street last Sunday, and I, which I hadn't been to before. And actually, it was an amazing space. And I, was, I arrived there at half one and it was Sunday, so I didn't know what time things close at. And... Um, uh, so at two o'clock we're getting a drink at the bar and the, the security at this club had already been quite heavy they were just really visible and I was like what is going on here it's just gays here like what is actually happening and uh, so I ordered a drink at the bar at two o'clock and you know you take that first sip and they're like right everybody out no you can't stand here you have to get downstairs and you're just like this really feels like why does this feel hostile mm. um, why are you infantilizing me totally and like so that's that nanny state thing and it's just like, well, what is actually the relationship between big clubs, the people that work there, the people that socialize there? You know, I think there's probably like a, a kind of a friendlier approach. When I look at how, you know, uh, nightlife culture and popular culture drives political culture um, or and political culture then drives um, our so- social, how we are socializing culture it seems to me that something actually needs to happen right now because we're in a very, very critical point in Ireland, I think, in terms of becoming so um, blandified. And this makes me sound like an absolute wanker, but 
if I'm going out clubbing, I go out clubbing in Berlin. It's try and spend a couple of mm. months a year there. I was there this weekend, and I feel so at home, and I f- and and I feel so. Um, you know, there's just you you fit into a silo there. I feel very out of place in Ireland right now because of these kind of what I see as these oppressive forces that are trying to make us not have fun. But that critical moment, like, what should we be doing? Should we be looking at you know, kind of go back to um, the protests in in the UK against the uh, criminal justice bill and against the um, trying to shut down raves and all that? Should we just be having massive um, street sessions should we be opening clubs during the day like Printworks does in London various places do obviously so many places in Berlin just go okay so our licensing laws are shit we're opening this club at 12 noon and it closes at 3 o'clock in the morning so in theory yes but having been around clubs and venues is that the guards actually won't let that happen mm. and it's actually that you you know you will um because it, we we are still we are a relatively small town, right? And the guards, you, you know, you are in conversation with the police about how your club runs and all of that kind of stuff. So I think you got to take it out of the club, in a way, and because if it becomes about the license, so it has to be on the street or some other way, because it becomes about the license, it's just really easy to shut you down. Now that sounds defeatist in its own way, but you know, it's kind of um, I I think that there are there's a lot of control there. So stop you know? stop fighting that culture that's not going to change and move laterally. I mean, that's what you guys did with work at IMA, for example. Yeah. And so that became, you know, that became, I suppose we started this club called Work and it started at the, in the, the bells of the Abbey Theatre, kind of the foyer of the Peacock and we took it over for 200 people and we, you know, we every inch of the walls and ceiling was covered in some sort of fabric or design and then there was acts and, you know, people came on and did you know, it was bitches with wolves and panty and like rubber bandits. Whoever was around came and did like a three minute sting. And in between all of that, you know, Chewie would be playing disco and it was really just fab. And it, that kind of grew. And the last one that we did was at Emma a couple of years ago um, for kind of 600 people or something like that. And they were art parties. They were really speaking to a specific demographic of person that wanted more out of their socialising experience. Um, and so all of the dancing, all of that was there, but there was theatre and there was entertainment and there was kind of installation. I feel um, like that was the start of Riot. Like, it, that's like... Yeah, that was the... It kind of feels like the the baby kind of idea of it. And then yeah, it developed. so exclusive for you, Andrea, is that Riot was originally called Work the Show. <laughs> So I, am like, so, I am so clued are, in. Oh my god! You are well, in I tune. Be like a, a, you are in tune. What's that commentator of culture? But I think that something that I wanted to say to you guys, and kind of what you said, Una, about um, about traveling to Berlin, really chimed with me because I think that we also save our dancing credits now for when we're away, and we'll kind of go. There's this amazing festival or club happening. But around 2007. Um, at Pop Baby, you know, a gang of us made a decision and it's a little idealistic, but we made a decision not to leave Ireland. We made a decision that we would stay here because we wanted to create the kind of city that was attractive for our friends to come back to. So our friends that had emigrated, we kind of thought we want to make home a better place for them to come back to. And um, and right now, I don't want to be pessimistic about it, but I feel like leaving Dublin. Mm. I just feel like... I guess in some ways I feel exhausted um, from the kind of effort 
but also I just kind of feel like it's not the people because the people are still there and they want to party and they want to go to things um, but the systems and the structures and I guess the lack of leadership and the lack of vision for our city um, really hurts me actually because I've, I've given so much you know I, you know, we, we talk about this idea of active citizenship and you know everybody is involved in some way and it's about just like giving to your city and making your city the best it can be um, and then you know f- being presented time after time as a problem and the city actually blocking you in so many ways is very frustrating so I'm hoping you know I've got my fingers crossed that the city will turn a corner so not to end on a bum note it's a perfect world you're in charge you're in control what's happening after dark in Dublin I, f- I feel like apart from the last bit that's my mantra into the into the mirror every morning <laughs> um, well, I think that like what I would like to see is um, obviously the licensing laws need to change I think we need some vision around how the nighttime economy works if you look at something like London where they've appointed a night czar um, that's interesting I think that we can probably do it a little differently I don't think that we exist in the same way as Dublin. So like even the idea of a czar sounds cool. I don't think we need it to be that cool. We need somebody who knows the city at night time um, to change the licensing laws. I think people should be allowed to socialize and party whenever they want. It would be great to see things decentralized. I want to go to a warehouse somewhere outside the, outside the city and stay there for six to eight hours and then get a taxi home, right? I don't want to come into Dame Street. Um, and uh, so I think- Luckily you have Jam Park. Yes, which I haven't been to. Yeah, which I haven't been to. Um, uh, and so basically, all of the thi- the things that anybody you could grab any two bit raver on the street, and they would give the same ten bullet points as me. It's about like I don't want to look at people vomiting on Dame Street at three a.m. I don't want people trying to fight me. I don't want to have to fight to get a taxi. I want me kebab. And I want it under five minutes, you know, <laughs> and uh, and I want to just be able to go at one o'clock in the morning when I'm sitting at home. Let's go out. Let's go out for a few hours. Um, and so that's kind of it. I just want the, fr- the freedom and I want to I want to be treated like an adult. Yeah. Um, and I want the the young people with energy who have much better taste than me now to have the spaces and the freedom to be able to put their parties on. And what's next for um, Pop Baby? What's coming up for you guys? There's so much coming up. Um, uh, Right now, we are working towards a... a, Last year, we did a festival called Where We Live, which was kind of a celebration. Which was fucking brilliant. Yeah, and so we have been... uh, The Arts Council have come on board. Dublin City Council are helping us out. and, um, uh, And we are running this festival again. March next year as part of St. Patrick's Festival. Um, so that's kind of one of the big projects and we we're also developing a new play by Marco Halloran. Brilliant. Philly McMahon, absolute boss. Thanks two bit for ra- coming into us. Two bit raver extraordinaire. <laughs> two bit raver for life. <laughs> this week's Get in the Sea, Andrea. Very simply, our licensing laws. Fuck off. Fave bits this week. Andrea. <laughs> so, don't you know the way I had an eight-day hangover? I was like sc- scrolling through my mind going, come on, you must have seen something cultural. And the most cultural thing I saw all week was four in a bed. Now, Una has never seen four in a bed. And when I say it's a cultural phenomenon, I'm not even lying. The premise of it is 
four couples visit each other's B&B and rate each, stay over and rate each other's stay. Now, when I say that they are, you just feel better about yourself every time you watch <laughs> it because you're literally like, are you mental? You're literally giving out about like this piece of fluff on a toilet and you're going to mark them down. There's a really good episode on this week where your woman was absolutely losing her shit. But it's just like, it's like a reality show, a glimpse into reality that you're glad you're not part of. You know that way. Okay, cool. I will check it out. It sounds like come dine with me with B and B. That's exactly what it is. Okay, great. And it's the same narrator and everything. My second thing is watching the Rosa Tralee with an alternative commentary. Um, so my friend Greg Spring, who runs Hence Teeth, uh, said that his quote about the Rosa Tralee, and I just think it's so perfect, is there are less stars in the night sky than the amount of bits that show is in. <laughs> That's amazing, very poetic. And then lastly, and we're both going to do it, is my picnic picks. Uh, my main one is uh, Wild Youth on the main stage. I feel like I'm going to be singing that Wild Youth song until I die. It is well, such good. an earworm. It's just, the, they're just the best. It is they're the playing the main thing. stage and I have a, was clearing out my videos last night and I went to see them in like Eurosonic. Where is that? Helsinki? No. Anyway, Eurosonic is in Groningen in the Netherlands. So I went there and they played to an audience of like 50. And now they're playing to these thousands and thousands on the main stage of Electric Picnic. I'm just so proud. Good on them. Uh, I also can't wait to see Billie Eilish on Friday. And then I can't wait to find this Berlin bunker. Have you heard about it? No. It's basically like this hidden bunker that you have to find. No, it's not signpost or anything. And that you go in and they're recreating Bergheim, basically. And there's a, a thumping rave. It, you may not get in because there's a bouncer on the door, etc., etc., etc. So like Berlin bunker, more 90s Berlin as opposed to 1940s Berlin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we clarified that. Uh, but like one of my friends tried to find it was there last year, tried to find it for the whole time last year and couldn't find it. So I am on a mission. And then I'm also on a mission to see Davy B uh, playing the I beat the classic set in the Heineken stage just before Ten Snake, which I'm very excited about. Can't wait to see Colch, La Boom and King Kong Company. So very ravey. Surprise, surprise. Sunday's going to be great with the live podcast for that live <laughs> lineup you've planned out for yourself, Andrea. Watch out. Just hope that I sleep. So my fave um, bits this week. I just love this story so much. Uh, so there was consternation and people were very annoyed <laughs> about these people working in Starbucks at Dublin Airport who basically the staff seemed to be throwing coffee at each other and then people the customers were getting coffee well, of course they were throwing it because it's absolutely rotten <laughs> they're getting coffee collateral damage and people were like oh my god my clothes are soaked and some uh, local councillor John McGahan uh, was like you know taking pictures of his coffee stains on his t-shirt and just all this I just find it really really funny like <laughs> hey what the fuck were the staff doing or were they having a laugh or was somebody actually having a bit of Barney and I just it kind of brought home to me that you see these things reported and people take everything so so seriously like cannot believe it did not even get one apology and I'm like that sounds fucking hilarious people were having a coffee fight at the Starbucks now, hang on, if someone fucked a cup of coffee over you would you be raging well it depends what the context was <laughs> I'm going to test it this weekend <laughs> <laughs> my other fave bit is Gia Tolentino has written a book of essays uh, called Trick Mirror she used to be the deputy editor of Jazz Ball is now staff reporter with The New Yorker <coughs> 
<laughs> Andrea is just preparing for the weekend there by collapsing in a coughing fit in the corner. And uh, I haven't read the book of essays yet, but in preparation to read it, I listened to Gia Tolentino on Longform, which is one of my favourite podcasts. It's a podcast that interviews writers about their work. And I would really recommend listening to the podcast uh, because she says some really, really smart things about uh, online discourse, which is kind of her bag. And the book is called Trick Mirror. Um, but it is all about the picnic for me this week. And my picnic picks are, of course, Christine and the Queens, who I love more than most people in my life. And speaking of Queens, Pillow Queens, also at Salty Dog stage, Kit Philippa, Body and Soul, Mango and Mathman, Body and Soul. And also Mathman is doing a DJ set on the Heineken stage on Sunday. One of my uh, like highlights of Body and Soul was his set. Uh, his DJ set plays like absolute bangers so go he check did that a, out a Whopper set in Big Romance as well at the weekend oh brill um, Melody at Terminus on Saturday also Kneecap uh, if you're into your Belfast rap uh, Oscar Elga as I know you are Andrea um, <laughs> just th- like my GAA interest yes that'll be at Terminus on Saturday as well my prediction for the biggest crowd at the picnic which by the way I always get right is Billie Eilish yeah Avs Okay, well, you know. <laughs> wow, you're so, I'm so, so hot right now. So, Billie Eilish is so hot right now. No, but I think she'll get a bigger crowd than the headliners will. That's my prediction. Take that or leave it. <laughs> Let's talk about you and more importantly, your money. Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. That's the last time we're saying it this week. Ah. Um, but this podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan of Castaway Media with support from Susie Bennett. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all of our design. As we are saying off mic, this episode is longer than a night out in Dublin. <laughs> and this studio is hotter than one. You can find links to all our socials on our website, unitedirelandpodcast.com. And if you're enjoying listening, let us know. DM us, tweet, tweet us, holler at us, everything. For this week's episode's <coughs> Tuna Chicken Roll, the pressure's on. Oh it's about God. the nighttime economy. What does Carlo need to listen to this week? Uh, the remix of the Skype music. I'm only joking. The actual tuna chicken roll, but that actually do listen to that. The actual tuna chicken roll. Steve Monite, only you. If this does not make you feel joyous and want to get out into your nighttime economy, I don't know. Or get out of your nighttime economy. Uh, I don't know what will. <laughs> big up Carlo. Big up the clubs. Big up the ravers. Big up everyone going to the picnic. We'll see you on uh, on Sunday. Sunday. One quarter past one. Well, will you? Will you see us? <laughs> Quarter past one at her stage at Minefield. We'll see you there. I've been Una. This is... I've been Andrea, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> this has been United Ireland. And that was Carlos. Carlos. See you at the big Thank you.
Jesus can do without it. Hello, Steve. I want some more of that stuff. See with me. I got it all. I just had to put out the fire. 